Welcome to Threat Talk, a new podcast series from Infoblocks. My name is Peter Gothard, and I've been writing about IT security for nearly eight years as a journalist and consultant. In this series, we're setting out to map the cybercrime landscape. With the help of experts and hackers, I'll dig into the methods and motivations of those exploiting vulnerable businesses and aim to provide solutions to combat the threat they pose. So far in this series, we've talked about cyber attacks crippling companies with just a few lines of code. We've talked about the panic that spreads across office floors as the scale and nature of large-scale assaults become clear. Well, in this episode, we turn to discuss something a little different. Cybercrime, by its very nature, relies on a degree of covert operation, sneaking into systems via backdoors and leaky defences. But an increasingly popular attack type is taking this stealth approach to new, more inventive levels. Cryptojacking involves infiltrating a company's network and siphoning off computer processing power to mine cryptocurrencies, such as Bitcoin. While it's been an element of cybercrime for a while, a breakthrough of sorts arrived back in 2017 when a group called CoinHive developed a mining module that could be embedded into almost any website. Since then, crypto mining applications have shown up on mobile phones, in IoT devices, in critical business infrastructure, and even been hosted in cloud servers and platforms. Mining cryptocurrency is an extremely resource-intensive process, often costing more in energy than will be reaped from the coins actually mined. And that's why hackers look to illegally outsource the mining process to unwitting actors, as millions of individual devices get pulled into a mining operation, generating bits of cryptocurrency algorithms totally unbeknownst to the user. It's not just individual users being affected either. Cryptojacking has already spread across several big brand corporate ecosystems, including the likes of Tesla and Starbucks. So here to shine a light into the murky world of cryptojacking with me today are a couple of people who know more than a thing or two about keeping computer systems safe. Please welcome Gary Cox, who is Technology Director for Western Europe at Infoblox, and Mike Godfrey, who is the CEO of Insinia Security. Welcome, guys. Hi, Peter. Hello, Peter. So first, let's cover the basics. How does cryptojacking work, and why should businesses actually be paying attention to it? So cryptojacking is is no different really to any other form of ransomware in in terms of you know you can use ransomware as a service so low level criminals find it very very easy to get access to um, platforms to allow them to do cryptojacking and any other form of, of ransomware the vectors to get into an organization are largely the same so whether it be you know phishing or um, you know just getting people to click on click on click on links send them files etc right so that doesn't that doesn't change i think the interesting thing about crypto jacking though is the the way the criminals get paid is is what you know where we need to focus so in in a typical ransomware attack i'm interested as a criminal in saying i've got your data i've encrypted it i've locked it i've kept it away from you pay me some some money some bitcoin whatever it may be to release it so i'm being very visible in the case of crypto jacking i want to do the exact opposite of that i want to be invisible i want to be stealthy because really what i'm stealing is your resource i'm stealing those cpu cycles so i want to stay as low-key and possibly as broad as I possibly can. 
So, so this all really comes down to how as a criminal do I want to get paid? Do, is, it, is it a slow, steady stream of, of money from this mined cryptocurrency? Or do I just literally want to hold you to ransom, pay me this amount of money, and I'm going to potentially release your data? So that's, that's you know, in, in my mind, how this shapes up anyway. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a great intro um, into how crypto jacking works. And really, if I, if I tell you a story about my experience with crypto jacking, so... Um, as, as Gary's rightly said, there's a there's a way uh, there's a number of ways of getting this malware because that's what it is, it's malicious software. Mm-hmm. So it's malicious software which is on your device. Now, do you want it there? Probably not. Is it inconspicuous? Yes, it is. So on that basis, it's probably hostile. Now, um, with my experience in it, I actually got a call from from one of my colleagues who's a seriously highly capable ethical hacker and forensic investigator. Um, and I got a call from him saying he knew that I had a thermal imaging camera. And he said, look, can you come down to our, our data center? Because it's really hot in the data center. But um, everything on the on the CPU output looks normal. So normal temperature, everything seems to be running normal. And um, basically what he what, what we uncovered, and it, and it was a lot of work to uncover it, to be honest, was a rootkit. So it's probably the most malicious um, form of malware. And basically what it did was it sat on the network and it looked for human input devices. So if anybody was using the system, it was completely benign it did absolutely nothing as soon as it realized that nobody was using that resource then it would use that resource for crypto mining so the reason why my friend couldn't find it is because every time he jiggled the mouse or turned it on it stopped and it hit itself so it's really really difficult so sure enough we did find that the temperature was hot and, and we found what that was and it was a lot of work to get rid of it but when we actually have a look at how malicious that was it didn't touch anything on those devices all it did was took that redundant power generate a mined bitcoin from it um, and a couple of other cryptocurrencies as well, and then sent that to a Bitcoin wallet. Simple as that. And was it faking um, sort of the software insight into heat output as yeah, well? Yes, so it was hidden process, and it was it was spoofed. So they actually used a widget, which was monitoring their CPU temperature, yeah. and it had spoofed that. So somebody clearly had a lot of intelligence in what they were doing. But we couldn't really accurately estimate what they'd had because obviously a Bitcoin wallet you can track and we could see there was huge amounts of money that had gone into it. We didn't know how much from that infrastructure. But we could estimate from the infrastructure used and the fact that it wasn't really used at night. So they effectively had full access to the infrastructure. Um, they definitely would have done a serious amount of money from it. And when that was stopped, that attack never came back. So it wasn't persistent. It never happened again. And I'd see that as an opportunistic attack where somebody's realised, obviously, what they can do, um, have taken an opportunity, and when it stopped, it stopped. For all we know, it could be somebody that was an insider, it could be somebody working in InfoSec, but it was definitely somebody highly capable. Interesting. So, I mean, sort of dummy's guide a bit on this. You've already described, you know, it's it's like malware. Something is sitting on the system doing these things obviously on a on a you know client side i mean how likely are sort of you know av or other kinds of you know normal software like to just pick up those software applications and go oh yeah that's a crypto mining you know is, is that fairly easy to pick those up or are they well hidden? it really depends on what you're using so if you're using something which is signature based so the way that a lot of antivirus works based on signatures and we're, we're moving away from that now in a modern era but what i would do is look at the top 200 signal i didn't i didn't realize this to the full extent until my friend that we used to work for mcafee was telling me and um he said look like 
when you look at SIG-based AV, it can only store a certain amount of signatures locally. If it stored every signature from every virus, you wouldn't be able to use your computer. So um, he was saying that at the time that he worked for them, McAfee stored the top 200. Now, what you find with cryptojacking malware or attacks is that it's often very bespoke and it's often fudded, which is fully undetectable. So um, on that basis, SIG-based AV isn't going to help. Now, you might have something behavioral-based, but again, we'd be very naive to think that hackers don't know how to circumvent AV, IDS, IPS, IDPS, um, all this type of stuff and again like i think what a lot of people think is well i've got a firewall i've got antivirus i've got this but in reality you you're probably not given criminal hackers enough credit they they spend a lot of time working out exactly what you've got setting up vms um virtual machines with the exact same setup exact same versions etc um and, and will carry out a range of attacks in order to achieve the objective so um it's very very difficult to detect when you look at something that's high level and i completely agree with that i mean i think the only thing that jumps into my mind there um especially around dns is if i if i look at a business and i look at you know all the servers in my business what job have they got you know what what reason have they got to go and actually make a dns query outbound mm -hmm. towards any wallet wallet provider cryptocurrency so actually yeah maybe I, I just stop the dns queries if they can't communicate with the wallet they can't you know it's 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 soon to stop right i mean just just logically so, i'm yeah. not a i'm not a crypto genius <laughs> i don't do a lot i don't do a lot of bit bitcoining or anything like that but you know it sounds simple just, but effective I mean, yeah. does, that, does that check out with, with you? Yeah, absolutely, right? yeah. And I think, I think the, the key thing to that is the intelligence. So if, you, if you've got really good intelligence, you'll stop everything. And like we say, if you, if you understand how it's working and you understand that, that that is being extracted to a wallet and you can stop that extraction, then, yeah, of course, you'll, uh, you'll stop the attack. But I think the biggest challenge is getting that visibility and, like you say, understanding what you've got on your network and how that's working. Mm -hmm. And that's why, to me, SIG-based AV really is, is dead, in my opinion. It will stop the, the main stuff, but it's all got to be behavioural-based. I yeah. think, definitely. And nobody making anything new is going to be doing it. No, and let's also not forget way. that these range in sophistication. So CoinHive having a, a completely legitimate plugin um, that, that uses web browsers for crypto mining is completely legitimate. Mm. As soon as you make that inconspicuous, you don't tell people that that's being used, then that is malicious. So, um, yeah, it, it's definitely important to understand le the level of sophistication um, and who can actually deploy this. And also, let's not forget that a lot of people in North Korea have been completely funded by Bitcoin. Which probably isn't completely unfeasible to be honest so yeah it's, there's definitely an appetite for this attack uh, to play devil's advocate like does why does it even matter to businesses you know if if a small part of your runtime or a couple of bits of your server are sort of i mean obviously you're not going to be happy about it because you feel a bit you know ripped off or a bit victimized but if it's not actually affecting you directly yeah. Is it not affecting you directly? You know. Well, well, when you put it like that, it, it makes it sound really simple, doesn't it? But really, mm -hmm. in reality, what you've got is the extra strain on your kit, the mm -hmm. extra heat output, therefore the extra energy that you're using. And these can cost huge amounts of money. If you've got something that ordinarily sits at 20%, it's now sitting at 100%. Mm -hmm. That's huge. But also, as much as, as I actually respected the malware that we found in its level of sophistication and what it did, and the fact that it didn't actually impact general operations, part of that is because they didn't want it to, because then it probably would have been uncovered more quickly. Um, but also, let's not forget that you have got a hacker on your network. It's as simple as that. I would, I would say, I mean, you know, the, the conversation so far, we've been talking about people with their own data centers. What about if we move this into a cloud provider's environment? Now, now I'm actually paying 
for my compute and my memory and those CPU cycles and, and the traffic and everything else. So then, it, yeah, there really is a material cost to it that is very visible. It's, it's never victimless, is it? So it's anyone thinking they're mining cryptocurrencies and it's a victimless crime. It never is. There's always a victim somewhere. I'm just wondering, really, I mean, do, do we have sort of um, <clears throat> discussable examples where something has started off as a crypto jacking kind of operation and then because they've got into a, a network which they realise is, is, is woefully underprotected in other ways, they kind of go, oh, OK, you know, now we're in. And, and, and it's almost like if they just crypto mine lots of stuff, they can use it almost as a way to find other opportunities so yeah it's it's this has been um publicized a little bit but actually there is um a good body of evidence that suggests that that criminal groups communicate very frequently with one another so actually if i've uh breached a company uh, I've, i've managed to get in there and it turns out that maybe the profile of that company isn't right for crypto mining but crypto jacking but that's what i do maybe i'll pass the intelligence across to a peer organization another criminal organization where actually their bag is to do you know plain old ransomware because you know maybe that that you know the that environment and the data they hold is more applicable to that form of criminality caring and sharing absolutely. caring so, and sharing exactly yeah. so that and that happens a lot and that's absolutely spot on what you said and, and we see that a lot in credit card fraud in the history of criminal hacking I don't think anyone's going to uh, going to look at, at something and think, well, I'm mining Bitcoin here, but there's loads of credit card details over here and loads of valuable information there, but I won't look at that. It's, uh, I can't see that's really going to happen. But the, the fact that there is any level of communication is obviously a worry. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. If you if you look at someone like Fancy Bear that's got 100,000 of these things deployed, then are they going to be micromanaging all of it? No, they're not. But when they see that they've got access to computing power, which can do terabits a second, then clearly that's going to, going to be something of interest to them. And, and let's not forget that all all of this evolves over time. So if you're somebody that started on Mirai as a botnet and uh, and you've evolved into this, then inevitably you'll always make that better. In fact, some of the software that I've seen written is better than some of the software which you've got on your PC now. So, um, so yeah, it always leads on to something else. There's always ways of improving things and making things better. So V1 may be crypto jacking, crypto mining. V4 may be movement across the network, dumping network logs. You never know. And I'd say we, we saw that evolution just in normal ransomware the the first the first uh, attacks were actually very very trivial to reverse engineer and you know unlock and get the data back subsequent attacks different game definitely yeah no great point so i suppose you know to summarize that if if anybody was in any doubt whatsoever that you know it's fine just to leave it there because it's not if, if i can't see it it's not hurting me absolutely not true Okay, so it's quite a new, sort of a new form of attack, certainly in the way we're looking at it now. Um, do, do we know much about how prepared organisations already are to deal with crypto jacking, you know, in terms of, of learning new and special techniques and, and really how worried they should be at the moment about, about these sorts of operations? So I would be very surprised if organizations are specifically focusing their defenses around crypto jacking. Mm-hmm. I think it, it you know it falls under the um the generic term of malware and ransomware. It, you know the the 
the, the defences that we put in place the, and the, the procedures we put in place are the same irrespective of the, the form of nastiness that comes knocking on the door. To be honest, that's, that's exactly in line with, with what I would have said. So, yeah, it's malicious software, like we say, malware. So, um, yeah, if, you, if you've got sensors, which you absolutely should have, um, looking for things like rootkits, looking for, for malicious software, for malware, then, um, then, yeah, I mean, this should be something that you pick up. Um, and let's not forget that, that having, or having the ability to use redundant computer power isn't just for crypto mining. So for things like cracking hashes. Sure. So that's a, that's a big thing. And now, with, with, as you rightly say, with cloud-based computing, Amazon are actually some of the biggest hackers out there. Because when you want to decrypt hashes or you want to crack hashes, you can rent as much computing power as you want for a short amount of time. And uh, that will crack most hashes quite quickly. So, yeah, it's definitely uh, your, your redundant computing power is valuable to you, whether mm. you realise it or not. I, I guess um, interesting maybe to ask about the, the cloud angle. Like, uh, are we seeing a lot more crypto jacking operations now moving into, you know, common cloud services? Is that... Uh, I don't know, are we still looking mostly at the kind of client or data center end or, or is there a split? Like, is there any way to sort of map or visualize how, where they're doing these things now? Yeah, I, I would say there is a trend moving towards cloud-based services just because of the amount of compute available. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, the very nature of those environments, um, as as Mike just said, is... You, know, you you hire and you grow and you expand and you know you, you use as, as much to almost yeah you yeah. use as, as much compute as, as you need to get the job done for your business mm-hmm. um, same is true of the bad actors right they will use as much compute they can get their, their hands on Absolutely. to get the job done you know the objective isn't to do something quickly in minutes the the objective is to be there for a sustained period of time where you can you know mine currency for you know yeah. for for a, a very 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 prolonged period of time it's you know you're not you're not going to mine a lot of currency quickly maybe we should talk about who really are the most likely targets this kind of attack i, I think it would be it would be really easy for us to say yes the target is large enterprise people who have got you know thousands of servers sat in a server farm or you know they're they're paying millions of dollars a year uh, to to amazon or azure or, or google i think the reality is any bit of spare compute whether it's on a phone on a laptop on a home computer on all of your computers across your your enterprise or indeed your server farm is fair game that that would be my my view of it. Yeah, for example, gaming gaming stuff. So when Nvidia introduced CUDA, CUDA was one of the best things for mining cryptocurrency. So if you're a gamer with 12 gig of GPU processing power, you are absolutely a target. Now, when you some of the malware that I've seen on Android, for example, in the Google Play Store, um, I saw one app which was mining cryptocurrencies on Android devices that had 6,000 downloads. They probably weren't getting a tenth of what somebody else would get, even with those 6,000 devices from even a small part of a data center so um definitely the gaming community with targets especially because the gaming community are quite up for obviously they're easy social engineered in the sense that you can you can quite you've often gotten in with what game they're playing so you use this to mod a game etc here's distributed stuff and then bang the gpu's maxed out so um like you say anybody with spare computing power is a target um, because even if it's a small amount of computing power it's still all all adding to the pile so for example what happened with tesla because i imagine they've got a bit of processing power lying around you know what, what happened there i think it was an insider 
personally. Okay. I think that's the probably the most feasible option. Um, again, people think it's a victimless crime. It's not actually a crime because all we're doing is you've got all this computing power there. I'll use some of it. We'll make some money. If I was an employee at Tesla and I was earning X amount of money per year and I saw there was all this redundant computing power and I could do something which I thought was harmless, would I do it? I wouldn't personally, but I can see why someone did. Yeah, I can definitely see the incentive, the motive, and and the reason why. Um, but again, like attacking these remotely is is a much so. A lot of people have a misconception that it's fifteen year olds in bedrooms. In reality, from the from the experience that I've I've seen in investigating really sophisticated criminal attackers, when you're fifteen to twenty five, you hone your skills and build your network. When you're twenty five to thirty, that's when you're at the peak of your skills, um, and generally that's who the most sophisticated criminals are. Um, so of course, if they're they're people that see redundant computing power, why would they not want to utilise it, really? So, this long game approach, we, we've this is what we're talking about. Um, what really is the incentive for hackers to to do that, you know, and, and not just to hit people very quickly with ransomware or, you know, even put people on a payers list and keep attacking the same people with ransomware? You know, that must do quite well financially um why crypto jacking so i i think it's about how visible do you want to be as as a criminal you know do you really want to you know send someone a note and go right here's what's happening you know it's happening you could contact law enforcement there's many things you could do one of those things is is pay us but of course you know maybe not equally Maybe the company's got a good cyber hygiene and they have got good backups, in which case I'm just going to ignore your ransom request, restore my data and move on you know, with my life. Whereas crypto jacking, the covert nature of it makes it much more um, lucrative, I would say, in many ways for the criminal because they're not making themselves visible and they are getting that money irrespective of what the enterprise does or doesn't do because the enterprise will just carry on with their daily business of making widgets or banking or you know, whatever it is they do, right? So I would say bang for bang for buck, there's probably more money to be made by the criminals out of crypto jacking than there is out of um, sort of traditional, if you can call it that, ransomware. It's pretty big already, but I mean, are we looking at a, a trajectory where it's just going to get really, really big and really, really popular and, and a lot more people start to focus on that? you know, particular kind of activity? Well, I think crypto jacking is actually on the decline, to be honest, because okay. um, there's there's a hundredth of the money that there was in it 16 months ago when Why? Bitcoin when Bitcoin was at the height of its value. It was it was a lot more lucrative to mine Bitcoin. So then, again, like when you look at the hack value, you know, somebody's got to make this, this malware, they've got to test it, they've got to deploy it. It's, it's not easy work. So again, this misconception is 15-year-old kid who pounds a keyboard for 30 seconds and that's it done it just doesn't happen um so yeah i mean that is the big thing and also the appetite of an attacker and when you look at attackers from different areas and cultures they've got very different mindsets isis do not care about anything so they're happy to just hack everything they can they had Junaid Hussein who was killed in their strike um but before that they had some level of sophistication it wasn't great um but they didn't care. They weren't interested in anything. So appetite for hackers, I think that somebody that's quite new to it sees that as a much better, more ethical thing to do um, than start ransoming people and affecting lives. They, they'd much rather go for that kind of approach. Um, and like you say, yeah, long game. So do they want to ransom someone once and get paid if they get paid? And it's always a risk, isn't it? For example, you ransom a company, you didn't know they're a government contractor, you've now got the Met's best on your tail <laughs> yeah. because you've tried to ransom them and you've not been paid. So has 
has that been successful for you? Probably not. When in reality, when you if you looked at a, a crypto jacking rootkit, then uh, a lot of the time people will just evict you from the network and, and not even be bothered because they're not. Again, they don't want the hassle of it, do they? They don't want to potentially be outed in the press um, and the rest of that. So a lot of the time, it's easier to just bin it off and start again and make sure it doesn't happen again. And what about maybe a bit of a side point? But you know, if not mining currencies, uh, you know, using computing power for other things like you know. Um, decrypting other stuff or you know processing other data that you need for other illegal things is that is that something that we should be maybe more worried about then well there is cases of this so there's cases of um people deploying malware to interrogate satellite images Mm. to try and find ancient relics so uh that's a hacktivist group where the hack value for them is finding old buildings so that's that's their answer now for you it's still malicious software it might not be mining bitcoin for them um but like we said it's still a piece of, of malicious software which you've got on your on your device so you might agree with it you might not but again that's the that's the hack value for them i mean it's this it's it's not necessarily malicious, but it, you know this example makes me think of SETI, exactly, right? Yeah, shared yeah. shared computing to analyze large data sets. Yes, you know obviously it's you know it's not malicious because you make an informed choice that you want to install it versus what we're talking about. But the logic is exactly the same. Exactly, and that's a great point to bring up because SETI are doing some some amazing work now, I think. And um, again, it's the difference between inconspicuous and conspicuous. When it's opt-in, then it's not malicious. But also, let's have a look at that quickly because if you look at remote assistance, that used the original source code from back office when it first came out because that was a remote access piece of software, which now, when you choose to install it, works really well for you. So there is actually a legitimate application of one computer or one user being able to control another device or another of user's computer. Um, so yeah, definitely, oh, that's the key difference for me is conspicuous and inconspicuous. If something you opt into, then great. It's great work that you can do and you can contribute something in a really positive way. But if SETI decides to start enumerating computers and, and putting implants on there, it's not acceptable. Mm. So yeah, that's the difference, I think. What, what really are the most effective ways that you can defend specifically against crypto jacking? Uh, and, you know, to, to kind of uh, hone that a bit, what's, what was the first line of defense, perhaps? So, you know, the the first thing is let's stop people getting in the best we can in the first place. Mm-hmm. So much like we've talked about on, on other podcasts, it's you know, batten, batten down the hatches, get your cyber hygiene right in the first place, get your users trained, get your policies squared away and sensible. Then if we dive down into the controls, absolutely use DNS, use things like newly observed domains as part of that, because these campaigns, they will spring up, they'll create a, you know, a, a brand new domain specifically for a campaign, be that the phishing campaign to get in in the first place, or as part of the C2 communication to, you know, to go and, and talk with the, the wider infrastructure. So, you know, leverage DNS where you, where you can. Um, but again, not in isolation. A layered defence is the best defence. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. That defence in depth is, is absolutely key and understanding the layers of the, the way that your systems connect. And also, let's not forget that servers are, are often quite embedded. So you do have defence systems and mechanisms before them. Um, and again, ensuring they're properly configured, ensuring that you've got good visibility on your network um, is, is absolutely key, I think. Perfect. You can't say further than that, really. But how can IT and cybersecurity personnel best sort of communicate the threat of new attack types such as crypto jacking to people in senior leadership positions you know say c-level or you know those kinds of, of personas um particularly perhaps 
and again we've sort of asked this in other podcasts but you know those sorts of people who don't really have a strong technical background or, or a cybersecurity background and, and again are having trouble really visualizing this stuff so I, I think again that turn it into to real world problems talk i've got about a, money talk about money <laughs> i've i've got a cloud system this is how much it costs us to run just to run it for the purpose of our business what if something else got on there and started sending extra traffic using extra compute you know what would that look like from a financial standpoint yeah. uh, i think that's that's one angle where you can have a sensible conversation um because it it's you know we've seen it happen right these are there are examples out there they can they can use when talking to the board so it's not like we're fantasizing about you know some mythical um problem that might never happen you know we, we've seen it it's there it exists I'd, I'd like to have thought from your example earlier about the the sort of overheating servers that it's like well you know drag the ceo downstairs and go put your hand against that you know <laughs> no it's very difficult he's, he's probably still not going to care when you say to him that actually this is going to reduce the life expectancy of this device by six months and you've used 10 times your power mm. then yeah they might be interested but for me like, so i've been involved in penetration testing for 12 years before anyone was really calling it penetration testing i remember when i was younger and i first wanted to get into it there wasn't really ethical hackers there was hackers and that was it and um <laughs> what a quandary for you yeah so um <laughs> so yeah over time and, and one of the things that i realized is that not everyone can't know everything and you're often called upon to be the technical expert now if you want to kind of chest inflate and posture yourself and say yeah look at all the amazing technical stuff i can do then great but i've delivered a 200 page report to a ceo before and he's just looked at it and said great at least you can say i told you so so what use has that actually been to him not much so really i think if someone hasn't understood your report you haven't explained it properly mm. so the way that we provide reports for example is that we do the executive summary we're going to do everything technical and we show everyone the exact tools and techniques that we've used and again from our perspective do we want to spend a week explaining to you and your technical team how we've done things when our report can show you everything so splitting up the um, report into a technical non-technical c-suite is absolutely key because i, I see a, a lot of really good security infrastructure being taken up because no one can understand it yeah. so contextualizing the data is is key and making sure that everybody's got a good understanding of that whether that's a high level overview or a deep technical understanding as security professionals we should be able to explain everything from the top to the bottom that's a really really good point actually yeah i i, I like that i mean I, th I think you know know your audience is, is how exactly. I would summarise that. So, I mean, absolutely. I think that more or less wraps us up for, for this episode. Big thanks to my guests, to Gary and to Mike. Really, you know, I think what we've learned is crypto jacking on your network is definitely not a thing you should just happily ignore because it's not affecting you. Everything that is being done in that way is affecting you on the bottom line on some level. And essentially, it can also lead to other attacks if these people are exchanging data with each other information. You know, you're never essentially going to be safe. And I think another really good takeaway from today was just that, you know, when you are explaining these things to your board, really try to be non-technical, try to give them a good summary of what's going on and don't necessarily hand them a 200-page report in highly technical language that they're not going to understand. Join us next time on Threat Talk for more cybersecurity discussion. And if you've not yet caught up with the other parts in the series, you can find them over on infoblocks.com. I've been Peter Gothard. This has been Threat Talk. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.